<laughs> I like to brag on him, but I don't like him to know that sometimes. <laughs> don't want him to get the big head. Hello, I'm Annette, and thank you for listening to my podcast. Today we're talking with my friend and a school board member, Kimberly Anderson, and she's also the director of the No Limits, No Excuses initiative in Amarillo. Kim, welcome and thanks for being on my podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Annette. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a hometown girl, born and raised here in Amarillo, grew up in Eastridge and went through Eastridge and Travis, graduated from Paladero High School, um, graduated eventually from West Texas A&M University with my degree in interdisciplinary studies which is education, basically. Um, Taught for a little while, became a mom, then became crazy PTA mom, um, got involved in advocacy for public education, and everything evolved to this and to what I do now, which is aspiring to be someday be what my friend Annette has become in our community. (laughs) And so um, just always advocating for for public education, for better and more equitable access to quality education, and just for policies that will make people's lives better. And I think you and I actually met through Twitter, if I recall, and because we kind of had some fellow, you know, uh, friends, some shared friends, and I was like, who is this? <laughs> it may have been. It's it's and kind then, of a blur. <laughs> and then you went, you went, I think you went or were sent to a, a rally for public ed by the school district to help advocate even before you're on the school board as a parent advocate. So that's that's great. We we did go to a rally, um, some teacher friends and I went to Austin, I think it was 2017. Um, for the special session and went to a rally and were ridiculous. Um, The Texas Tribune occasionally will run a story about advocacy and there's a picture um, of my friends looking so cute and with their hands in the air and then I am over there in the corner (laughs) and I must have just finished wooing because my face, (laughs) it's not the most flattering picture of me, but you can probably Google that. (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. Um, and, and okay, let's talk about education advocacy. What are some of the challenges for public ed in Texas? Public ed. One challenge that will, I think, will always be a challenge is just adequate funding for to meet the needs of our students. We live in a diverse state and our district is very diverse. And with those diversities and with um, economically disadvantaged students, with English language learners, there come some complexities in education that require a little more funding. Um, and our state hasn't always been as generous. They haven't always seen public education as an investment. Um, it's been viewed more as a cost where it's actually just an investment in our future. And so there's always the funding issues. And then there's this, this partisan rhetoric out there that's really drawing attention away from the issues that actually exist 
and putting people's attention on issues that really don't impact many of our K through 12 schools. And we seem to have those every session. Don't every we? session. And yes, we do. And they take attention away from really addressing the true issues. Um, and so there's always that. And there's that public perception of education um, and the rhetoric around it. And I just wish we could all become one team for, for the betterment of our entire communities instead of pulling this way and that. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of rhetoric out there that's a challenge right now. Um, and sometimes it's the haves versus the have nots in education that if, if you have, you see the issues differently than if you have not. And so that becomes a, a really big challenge as well. Um, that was really broad, <laughs> a really broad answer, well, but let's go it back. kind of nails down, kind of. Speaking of haves and have nots and, and, you know, a lot of the work we do here is, is around the issue of poverty and you grew up, you went to Eastridge elementary, which is, is, is a really mixed high, uh, refugee population yes. there. And I believe your mom taught there, correct? Yes, yes so, she did. <laughs> so you went and you had a different exposure than you might have, but you know, your friends and your classmates were from all over the world and they had been through things. Absolutely. Many challenges uh, to be here or their parents had. So reflect on that for, to, as to what most people say in Southwest Amarillo see in their public elementaries. That's really interesting. And it really, growing up in Eastridge, really has shaped my my worldview, my perspective, because I wasn't surrounded with people that just looked like me. Um, I was surrounded with a super diverse population and, and the diversity in Eastridge has just grown over the years, but it's always been um, a community that has a high number of refugees. Um, a lot of the students I went to school with were either refugees themselves or children of refugees, um, a number of different nationalities. Um, I think when I was going to school, we were we were mostly, we had white students, we had Hispanic students, black students, and Vietnamese and Laos students was the, the makeup and a few outliers there. And now you look at Eastridge and there's, I think, 30 plus languages spoken. So it's just grown. And having that exposure, meeting actual people, putting faces and names to this idea, does it breaks down your ability to have a caricature of what people are. And to really get to know the heart and the culture and the amazing contributions that our refugee populations bring to Amarillo and bring to us as a whole. And my life is enriched from having those experiences. Um, and so when I see these different populations on our reports, there are names and faces that go with that. There are families that go with that. There are friends. It's not some abstract concept to me. So it really humanized this idea of, of these different people groups we look at in our data reports. It's not just some abstract idea to me. It's, it's actual people. And I think that makes all the difference when you're considering um, policy that, that impacts economically disadvantaged 
students. Well, when I grew up in an economically disadvantaged area, it's not just an abstract concept to me. It's my friends. Um, So, of course, I want the best for them. And it's my friends' kids in some places now. Of course, I want the best for them. Of course, I don't see them as, as a lot of times these populations are, are viewed through a deficiency lens. They're not deficient. They have incredible assets and bring incredible value to our community. And they just haven't had the opportunities that a lot of people in our community have had. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Um, my friend's parents were some of the hardest working people on the planet. And to see them as deficient in any way is just insulting and just breaks my heart that anyone would look at them and see anything more than that. The hardest working people, the people who love their children the most and who want the best for their their children, um, to think of anyone viewing them any differently is hurtful to me. And so I think that really colors a lot of my perspective when I come to policies as a school board member. Well, that's great. And you and I both see that our public schools are the opportunity yes. for these families and individuals and work our rear ends off to try to make sure they're they're providing the access they all need. Absolutely. So, both yes. K-12 and higher ed. Yes. You know, um, Strata Gallup, so Strata Education Network and Gallup that does polling and that right. kind of thing, they joined to do the Education Consumer Pulse Survey. So it's, they call 350 U.S. adults a day, ends up with hundreds of thousands of responses over the year. And it's it's consumer attitudes towards education. Um, and they it had some really, really compelling data in there about why people go to higher ed um, and attitudes towards higher ed that was that were really interesting and where people get their advice from that could really, really impact great work in our area in better preparing students. But then there was another data source, there was another longitudinal study done by the National Center for Education Statistics. Is that the right name? It's NCES. That followed a cohort, I can't remember how long, um, and looked at their outcomes and kind of disaggregated their outcomes by their parental educational attainment. And there's a lot there. Um, But one thing that really jumped out at me is that once those students had their own bachelor's degree, there was little to no difference in employment rates or earnings. Um, So education really can be that great equalizer. It's just getting equitable access to that education to every student. And I think that's one of those gaps that we have um, that we can always do better. And I know Emerald College has made amazing gains in that area. And I'm so excited about the partnerships that are growing and the collaboration and our community coming together in so many ways 
to to build upon that culture of caring that y'all have established there. Um, and I just really hope that that continues to grow and that it becomes Amarillo and the Panhandle's culture is a culture of caring because the results that AC has had are just undisputable. Indisputable. Undisputable. Indisputable. Is that indisputable. the right word? <laughs> I don't know how you're going to edit that. <laughs> we might just leave it off because we all have questions like that. Yes. Um, well, as you know, I've been working on the issue of providing access and improving community, you know, working, the community working together and improving those opportunities for educational attainment. Let's talk about your job right now. My job. My job is um, I am the program officer for No Limits, No Excuses, and it's a project of the Emerald Area Foundation. It was born 10 years ago with a Partners for Post-Secondary Success grant from the Gates Foundation. And you actually probably know a lot more about that than I do. <laughs> Which also built on the work of Panhandle 2020 that yes. was going on. Yeah. Um, and our, our mission, our hope, our goal is to build those really cradle-to-career pipelines and pathways in the Panhandle area um, to make sure every one of our residents has access to the pathway that leads them to their, their career potential, to meeting their career potential, and to having that living wage employment. Um, but employment and career are two completely different things. We don't just want people in jobs. We want people in careers that are fulfilling for them and that contribute to our community and make our community better. And we want them in a living wage where they they can take care of themselves and they can live that fulfilling life. And they're not so stressed about how am I going to keep the roof over our head and feed my family this week. Um, so that's really, really broadly um, what we're trying to do, we have key players at the table and we're trying to build those aligned systems and come up with innovative ways to, in K through 12, expose our students to work-based learning that builds skills, but also just exposes them to the opportunities that are out there because that exposure is very important. I can just say from my own experience, um, becoming an educator was something I fought. And I love being an educator. But as I look back, that decision was driven a lot by, I knew what that looked like every day. Mm -hmm. I knew what that would mean for my life. And I knew that was an option. Whereas computer information systems was a really abstract concept to me. I didn't know what that looked like from day to day. I didn't know what that, what those people in that field really did. And so kind of drove my decision. And so that opportunity for our students to be in businesses, to have mentors, to have job shadowing and internship opportunities is key to opening up those opportunities to them and opening up their vision of what their, their future could be. And because there's endless opportunities out there. And of course we want our Amarillo and Panhandle kids to, to go off to college and 
become great things and come back here. <laughs> but we also want them to have really great lives. And so but they can also start at AC. They can also start at AC and, <laughs> and finish you at WT. WT. Yeah. Yes, and finish at WT. We want we don't want to contain them, but we want to build what's available here in Amarillo to our students so that they have that ability to come back if that's what they want to do. We don't want to we don't want to contain them, but we want to encourage them <laughs> to come back and build their community. But yeah, that's what we're doing is trying to to build those pathways, build those opportunities and just make sure there's equitable access to those pathways for all of our residents. So some of our listeners are local and some of my listeners are not local. So part of the reason I've done this podcast is to share the, the great work we've been doing here uh, across, you know, wherever. And so please give a shout out to the listeners on if they aren't local, what can they do in their communities to get involved in this or grow something like this. And if they are local, what they can do to get involved or help, help grow this. That's, that's a really great question. So I'm, I'm a school board <laughs> member in, yes. in, in XYZ, Texas. Yes. And we aren't doing this in my community, but I see that we need to do this in my community. Um, I was a pushy loudmouth agitator Yes. Yes. <laughs> Activist, as a friend called me, and pulled the group together. And it's that work is still ongoing through some of the work you're doing, Emerald College, et cetera. So if it's not happening in my community, what can I do to to rally the troops, so to speak? Of course, we that's, started with data. That's exactly what I was going to say. You have to have some galvanizing data, some some point for everyone to come to gather around and to coalesce around um, some shared goal, shared mission. And those often come from data and looking at data points and looking at where your community is. And as you've said before, where's our community going to be if we don't do anything? And is that where we want to end up? And that will bring, if you're able to do that, that brings interest. Um, but that only goes so far. You have to start imagining action steps and actually taking those steps to keep people engaged. And that's really complex. It is. <laughs> that's really <laughs> complex. Um, keeping varied entities with different interests and different goals focused on the same goal is a really complex For issue. For a long time. And there are whole courses. <laughs> I'm actually involved in one right now. Great. To try to improve leadership skills and build leadership skills of those trying to hold those those convenings together. Um, so I don't know that I have a really great answer. Um, what I will say is that I think going public service is important. And I think everyone should be involved in public service. There's a number of challenges in every community and no one person and no one organization is going to fix every challenge. No one can do that well. No one can cover the gambit that way. 
and do it well and do it effectively. But if every person will look at the challenges in their community and realize they're not expected to tackle them all, but find that one that really resonates with them, that one they really have a skill set or an expertise that that is relevant to that. And if they'll hone in on that and work together, we can't have a bunch of individuals. It's kind of like a tug of war. Mm-hmm. There's the challenge on one end. And if everybody's pulling in different directions, we're going to make no progress. But if we all get together on the other end of the rope and pull in the same direction, um, we're going to make that progress. So if every individual will find that one that one thing that really resonates with them and put energy towards making an impact there and, you know, collaborate with others that are interested on that. And if every person will do that, we can make such huge gains, such huge impacts. Um, And so I just really like to encourage every person. It's okay if you don't have all of the answers. It's okay if you don't have any of the answers, but find the thing you really feel passionate about and go at it and encourage your friends that are interested in something else. Give them a pat on the back and say, yes, go do that. I'm doing this, you're doing that, and that's okay. We don't all have to work on the same things, but we all need to be working on something um, to invest in our communities, invest in our future for our kids and for our grandkids and for our community just to make it better. Because we all, we all, when our neighbors do better, we all do better. Um, and so that's really kind of my soapbox is I don't care what it is. Just pick your one thing and go after it and, and invest, give of yourself um, to make your community better. So I don't think that answered your question at all. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my politician is coming out. I'm going to turn my question to something I actually have an answer. <laughs> so let's uh, talk about local efforts. So yes. So you're under the umbrella of the Amarillo Area Foundation. Yes. Which is building some new offices downtown. Yes. Apparently, although there's nothing there right now. But I give no luck. information on that. That is not my Anxious pay grade. To see where that is. <laughs> but um, so if, if so if I'm listening to this and I never heard about this before mm-hmm. or I now have time to get involved, how would I get involved? Or do you want me? I this is all all hands on deck issue. Well, all of our issues are all hands on deck. So if your passion is making sure everyone has equitable access to career pathways, um, you can go to the Emerald Area Foundation website, which I should know. I think it's emeraldareafoundation.org. Okay. I'm so glad you knew. That's embarrassing. Um, you can you can go on the website, scroll down a little bit, and my lovely picture is there. You can click on me. Um, you can email me at Kimberly at aaf slash hf dot org. Um, you links can in the show notes you can visit. Our website's kind of under construction, so okay. I hate to put our website out there too much. Right, right. <laughs> um, you, but there are different ways. You can go on Facebook. And we are in L and E colon, no limits, no no excuses. Um, Our handle on Twitter and Instagram is at in L and E village. So you can reach out any of those ways and get in touch with me. And I would love to have you. 
as a part of, of my mission. And that goes for any of those challenges out there. Usually you can just do a Google search of those, you know, organizations that do this in my community. And Google's really, I hate to plug Google, go to your favorite search engine, I should say. <laughs> um, it's just the overwhelming one that everybody knows. It's become a verb. Um, go to your favorite search engine, type that in. The internet really can be an amazing amazing thing in connecting people, um, get that information and, um, just don't be afraid of, don't be afraid and don't be intimidated because you, you have something to give. I would encourage folks also to not wait for somebody to ask them to lead, just step up and do it. Uh, I think that's, that's some of our challenges are from, expecting somebody else to tag us but it's like if you see an issue that you can make a difference in please step up we need you and we need your voices on podcasts and we need your action in communities etc so I haven't even talked about your role as a school board member and you've been on the school board in Amarillo ISD for four years two years two years oh my gosh two years and um two months and And it seems like 10 years and my (laughs) my cohort not my little the people who were voted in with me um Alonzo Everhart and Dick Ford we are the longest tenured members on the school board at this point so we're I like to say we have we can think outside of the box because nobody's had time to put us in a box (laughs) um You've had quite a box to deal with, though. We have been trial by fire. Because, I mean, I've I've been on, I mean, I was on there 19 years, and I loved it, and I love serving, but I was glad not to be on the school board during COVID, because, I mean, for, for Emerald College service, we're dealing with adults except for dual credit stuff. We're dealing with adults, and that was challenging enough. You're dealing with little ones all the way through, yes. you know, high school seniors who didn't get to have a senior year. Yes. Uh, and so there's no right answer. There's, you know, we're dealing with, um, in a right, in a normal year, about 32,000 students. That's 32,000 sons and daughters, 32,000 babies, somebody's baby. They're all our babies. <laughs> <They're>, yes. <laughs> I do see them all as mine. Yeah. Um, but that that's somebody's kid, somebody's grandkid, and I don't take that responsibility lightly. And this last year was so challenging because we were looking out, trying to keep our kids and our and five thousand adults who are also sons and daughters and somebody's baby and parents and somebody's mom or dad, yes, or somebody's grandma or grandpa. Um, every one of them precious and trying to keep them safe, but also trying to balance that, that physical safety with that mental health issue and that isolation issue that had become so, um, evident in the three months that we were out and trying to balance all these different aspects of safety and welfare and still teach our kids something <laughs> along the way um, with also this very, very divided, politicized air and cl- climate around the pandemic that I'm just not even going to touch. 
Um, but it just was incredibly challenging. And we really, it was a trial by fire. Our team is so tight because we've been through that. And we may not have agreed on every decision we made, but we that's went okay. through that together. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a bond that will carry for years and years and years, even after our service is done. Um, we went through that together. <laughs> well, and, I, and I'll point that out to people, public service, elected officials, when you've worked with somebody through many of these challenges, you develop friendships that you might not otherwise likely would not have otherwise developed. Absolutely. And you can, you can disagree about things, but you can still respect each other and have rational, calm conversations about issues and, and disagree and still respect each other and still be friends. Yes. And I think, think that's been lost on a lot of people uh, but I would I would say I mean some of my best friends have developed through my board services whether it's on a nonprofit board or an elected board uh, school board or, or Emerald College so uh, that's one of those valuable things that you don't really run for but it's a bonus it really is and um, my team, our team is so interesting, <laughs> such a group of characters, and I love each one of them so dearly. But like you said, these are not people that otherwise in my life I would have even ever encountered. Right. And now they really are friends and people I, like I said, love dearly and care about. And serving in this kind of position is kind of this one of the stressors is you can't really just go talk to just anybody about what you're going through in that. First of all, some of that information, there's privacy issues right. and, and privileged information, but also until you're in that position, you really can't understand all the things all you the, have to juggle, the complications that, you know, the complicated nature of it. And so it's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's been a fun ride. And I'm, it's an honor to to represent and to serve our community in this way and to serve our kids and to serve the future of our community is just an honor. And I'm so proud to be a part of the organization. We've got a lot of things to improve, but I really feel like we're making as as it's a huge organization. And so change can never come quickly. <laughs> we did turn on a dime for, for the did. pandemic, but the whole you world did. did. Um, that kind of change that we want to see doesn't come quickly, but I, the shift is happening. Um, shifts are happening. Progress is being made to really honoring that mission of preparing every student for life and success after high school. And so I'm really proud of some of the progress we've made and really it's daunting when you look at some of the challenges we still have ahead of us, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic. Yeah. The learning loss. And learning learn loss. And then mental health issues um, that may have been there before, but just surfaced because it was like in a crucible there. Yeah. You know, it was just, just everything was elevated and amplified. So, so it's real, real interesting times. <laughs> 
do you have anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, I'm, I would just encourage everyone to, like I said before, find your thing and go after it. Um, but just to remember in that discourse you're having with everybody, um, not everyone shares the same definitions you do, the same life experience you do, um, even the same values. And that's not, doesn't make them wrong. It makes it different. And to really, I, I just really would love to see our community. I've seen our community become so divided and it breaks my heart. I would love to see our community approach each other with grace and with a willingness to understand and a willingness to agree to disagree in some some areas without that making someone your enemy or demonizing that person or othering that person. Just, oh, so-and-so doesn't agree with me on this. Not, not everything is... Some things are life and death. Not everything's life and death. Not everything has to make an enemy out of someone who disagrees with you. So I would really just love everyone to take a step back and breathe and really go at each other with grace because um, this last 18 months has been unlike anything any of us have experienced. And everyone has trauma from it. Everyone's experience was different. No one came out the same person on the other side. And just rem remember that there's a meme out there that remember everyone you, you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And so just err on the side of kindness with people. That would just be what I want people to do is err on the side of kindness. <laughs> and sometimes it's difficult, right? It's so difficult sometimes. <laughs> I preach it to myself here. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, Kimberly, thank you so much for the service you do, for the work you do for the community the passion you bring to public ed advocacy as well and thanks for being on my podcast and thank you for listening to Annette on education